This is the Fixer Punk Podcast. I'm Grayson Peltier. Normally, when I come into these episodes, we have like a specific lesson that I'm trying to teach. I don't normally do um, the format of just going through current events and news um, and and just going through those on an individual level. Um, that's more of what I do on the TikTok a little bit at Fixer Punk and on the um, Instagram, which is also at Fixer Punk. Um, and I was trying to find a way because I wanted to cover um, two topics that real that were really big in the news and that didn't seem to have too much in common with them. And I was thinking of the common thread and the common lesson that I want to um, discuss and the insight that I want to provide there. And I think I found it in terms of the situation with the recession, with all these tech layoffs going on, with inflation still being considered to be an issue, the Fed deciding to hike interest rates. Um, the situation with the debt ceiling and Republicans um, not wanting to raise that and the overall economic terror people are facing and then also what has happened, the very, very tragic um, death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of the Memphis police and all of the problems in the criminal justice and policing system that were brought out by that one single horrible incident Um and I think I found the common thread to tie them with. And um, that would be the randomness of oppression. And I think that this is a really a topic that is really understated. We don't talk a lot about how random the nature of the oppression of the current system is. How in when we're talking about economic systems and political systems – the fact that they are designed to be extremely random in how they act and hurt people, and they're deliberately made to look like that. It's still a deliberate decision. But what they're doing is, is that they're making it so that it looks random and so that it makes it look like the problem is your fault. Like in the case of policing, you will have oftentimes the rhetoric of somebody saying, stop resisting, the, and police advocates will say, well, people – well, the only reason why police brutality and tragic deaths like what happened to Tyree ha- happen is because people are resisting arrest. But in this case, with Tyree Nichols, you have – we've seen that there is a deliberate tactic that's, that's being employed that is allowing police, not just in Memphis but across the country, to use a greater level of force than is actually justified – by claiming that somebody's resisting when in fact they're not. He was given 71 commands in 13 minutes, many of which are contradictory. You have things like telling them to lay down and, and get on the ground when you're already on the ground, trying to telling them to raise your hands when you're being cuffed, um, things that can that are confusing and make it seem like you're resisting, but you're really not. And overall, this number of random things that you see happen and this randomness of the violence in this case is meant to make the system just that more oppressive than if things were sort of clearly defined and you knew when things are going to happen to you. There was somebody who discussed with this Scorpion unit um, in Memphis, which is thankfully being disbanded. It's one of very small reform, but it's at least something. And we're starting to see some responsiveness, at least from the system, just a little bit. But 
you had somebody you had a group of people who were just waiting for a pizza who were basically jumped by these plain clothes officers and these officers which were supposed to be crime deterrents were in plain clothes undercover and without a cause or a rhyme or a reason in Tyree's case they initially said it was for reckless driving but there was no evidence the police are admitting there's no evidence for reckless driving but in this case these people who were just sitting in a car waiting for their pizza um they there was no cause for the police to enter and yet they started to come in and brutally arrest them and not even realize those police the people in the car said that they thought that they were being jumped that they were being robbed that this was not an arrest but it was a robbery or some kind of crime and that randomness creates terror it terrifies people and we say a lot the cruelty is the point but i say the randomness is the point because the fact that this happens so incredibly randomly makes it way more oppressive than it would otherwise. And on the sim- in a similar vein, we see that on the economic front. We see that what happens with these um, – with this situation with the whole framing around recessions in general – starting from there is that this is just a random event that always happens and we have to do things to lower inflation we have to do things to fix inflation we have to fix this problem and then suddenly out of nowhere arbitrarily and randomly people start to lose their jobs when in fact really it's a deliberate decision to erode the gains that workers have made there's actually a great article in the LA Times explaining that tech companies in particular with these tech layoffs that have gotten a lot of press coverage, a lot of traction. What has happened with those tech layoffs is that they have um, – they are being designed in such a way as to be extremely random that even the high-performing, very good workers are getting fired and they're getting fired in ways where – they don't even know what's happening. They just get to the office and their key card doesn't work to get them into the building. Um, randomly, their their email stops working without any notice and to make it seem like it could happen to anybody, like it, nobody is safe. And that is done because they are trying, this is a deliberate tool of oppression and frankly a tool of tyranny, is to get you to comply in ways that they're not even telling you to comply. And because they're seeing that there are gains in workers' economic status and that workers in the tech sector who normally would not be prone to unionizing are now going out and deciding that they are going to unionize. What they are doing now is they are, they're they instituting these layoffs not for this ostensible economic reason, but because they're seeing that workers are getting too much and they're trying to get them to voluntarily back down. Um, of course, there are situations where members of unions and all kinds of actual union busting and legal violations have gone on. But the tech industry, basically what they're doing and what overall with the economy, with the narratives around recessions and layoffs and all this stuff is because they are seeing that workers have more power than they have had in many, many years. You're seeing a wave of unionization. And the randomness of it is what actually makes it more oppressive rather than a straight up rule because it makes you blame yourself because you are thinking okay i just need to work so much harder and and so that so that i can be compliant and obedient to them so that they 
don't do all these things to me because I never know. I don't know what standard I have to meet. I don't know when this is going to happen to me. I don't know if this is going to happen to me, but I have to protect myself in this ways and I better stay off of them. I better not try to unionize, organize, ask for more salary, anything like that because something may happen to me that is completely random and out of nowhere. And the workers, obviously, who got laid off, they don't know why it happened to them. And that even makes it more terrifying because you're constantly second-guessing and thinking, overthinking of why it's happening to you and what you've done wrong, what you've done to upset the almighty system that has caused them to do this to you. And really, it's not even achieving... It's, it's not doing anything good really for anyone other than those that are in power. And these groups in, in power are relatively small groups of people. There are a lot more workers that even – there are a lot more workers looking to unionize than there are these people who are in power. But it gets you to internalize their narrative and it gets you to believe because when you keep hearing these narratives around you of we have to reduce inflation, we have to reduce crime, those – ideas of the ruling class get into your mind and you start to accept the idea of all of this ran all of these random things happening around you that any reasonable person would say that's unjust that's a tragedy people will see the situation like Tyree Nichols and say that's a tragedy but then the next day they're like we need more policing to keep our community safe and there is a definite generational divide in that as well um with with policing in particular because people will say Younger people say, I'm open to alternatives to solving public safety issues and actually preventing crime to start with, um, while older people aren't. And it's because these patterns are built up, these mental patterns are built up over a long period of time, and there are these subtle cues and indicators that will trigger them. Um, so you start seeing layoffs, and you're like, oh my god, that means I need to start working harder. That means I need to start being a better person. This That means I need to stop unionizing when in fact the unionizing would give you more power and prevent those layoffs, um, you start to see an increase in arrests and things like that with policing. And it's because you're increasing policing and you're arresting people for entirely random things. They're creating the problem. They're making the problem happen so that you accept the solution to it. Um, and it's made to look like this is an act of nature. And it's made to be confusing. And this is so a relatively small group of people get a amount of power over a larger group of people because you don't know what your payoffs are going to be. So if you can't see, well, X has a consequence of Y, it has X has a consequence that is unknown, you are more likely to give in to whatever demands to make whatever that future consequence is less because you don't know what it is going to be. And that's the same thing that's being done in terms of the economic terrorism around the debt ceiling. You have the debt ceiling situation. Um, you have Republicans who are saying that they're possibly going to crash the entire world economy because they want to get certain spending cuts in, and they haven't defined what those spending cuts are. Um, but I can tell you, I've I worked in the Tea Party back in the days when this first was used this debt ceiling stuff was first used as a tool for economic uh, or for political power it's going to be a lot of cuts to social safety nets and things that people wouldn't agree to people don't think is a good idea voters don't think cutting social security or medicare or assistance for low-income people is 
is a good idea, but because of this terror and making you believe, okay, there's this natural consequence of a debt ceiling that has to be fixed, so I'm willing to give into it. And the more random it is, the more likely your response is going to look bad. Whether, And that's the same thing with these policing tactics is if you go to somebody and you jump them randomly, you don't know, they don't know who it is. These are plain clothes officers. They don't know who it is that's attacking them. Of course, somebody's natural instinct, their mind's natural instinct might be to fight back. And they would probably be right in doing so. But then they can say, oh yeah, they're resisting arrest and they're they're doing they're they're hurting police officers. But it's because they didn't know it was police officers. They didn't know what was happening. And they had to respond in a split second. And that's what this randomness does, is it exploits the fact that you don't know what's coming and that your response is gonna be incorrect. It's like in baseball when you're throwing pitches and you and the pitcher deliberately changes the order in which he normally throws the pitches so that the the fastball comes in a different time than you, when you'd expect a curveball and you swing and you miss so it is going to put you in a situation where and these are even sometimes in the case of this this violence from police departments, it, it has obviously deadly consequences, but they are giving you commands and telling you, stop resisting, stop resisting, you need to obey. And you are doing your absolute best to obey, and still it's not going to be enough. And that's the thing is, it is not going to be enough. No matter how much you give in to the systems of oppression, it's never going to be enough for them. And that's what they want you to believe, so you just keep giving them more and more and more. And that's why they don't, they don't tell you what they're expecting from you. Not to mention that if they did that, it would look really bad for them. And in the case of the employment stuff, it would be illegal. And in the case of the police situation, it would be criminally illegal. Because if they said their real intent, which was, and, and one of the officers in the Tyree Nichols case did say their real intent was just to hurt the guy, basically, then that would be illegal. But instead, you make it look like a random act, a force of nature. So the randomness is the point and randomness is such a making things look like it's a natural consequence of either your actions or just the nature of how things are is a very, very, very powerful tool of oppression. And it gets you away from thinking about solutions that could actually help solve these problems. Um, and then when you're talking about any of these, these, these labor demands, they're going on, the unions could have protected people from these layoffs and these, these situations to a better extent. But of course, they're, they're seeking to break, them, to break them up. And that is their hope is that you don't think about those things. You don't think about solutions. Police come in and they, there is a contrivance both to the whole economic crisis around poor people and workers taking too much money and claiming that the reason why your gas prices and your milk prices are going up is because of money that's being pumped into the economy that's actually helping you and your neighbors. Um, so what will happen is is you will have um, that rhetoric and that will be embedded in your mind after hearing it. And then you hear that cue. You're like, okay, I'm seeing gas prices going up. Okay, let's fix that means we got to go back fix inflation and we got to do things that reduce wages and they're going to ultimately hurt me in the end. You go and you hear the same rhetoric of around crime, you're saying crime is going up. Crime is going up. We have to do something about it. What does that mean? More policing. 
when in fact it's not really solving the problem at all. And by understanding what these cues do, and these cues are all driven by fear, they all operate on the instinctual model of your brain. And I talk, I've spoken a bit about this on some of the early episodes of this podcast, is they're all based on triggering your action of fear. But the other thing that could potentially happen in situations where that fear reaction is triggered, and when crisis and tragedy occurs, is that you see through the system, you see that there is something wrong And your mind gets into a very, very creative state called flow. And you start to think about other solutions, other alternatives, other ideas. That started to happen a lot during the pandemic, happened a lot around the George Floyd protests. People start to think more about alternative solutions to policing. People start to think more about alternative solutions to economic challenges, especially younger people that maybe had less conditioning over time than older people because older people already had those neural pathways built up of, Economic problem, find another job, work harder. Younger people are seeing, no, that doesn't work. And their brains are creating new pathways. And oftentimes what will happen is is that you'll build up those new pathways and, and you'll be able to create things through crisis. But it's a very deliberate decision that you have to make in your mind in order to be able to do so. It's not going to happen automatically because over years and years and years of hearing all this rhetoric, you're thinking, okay, we have to fix crime. We have to, and that means more policing. And that's why we see a generational divide in policing. We see that, and I can't find a citation for it, but but I heard on MSNBC a commentator saying, well, we have a very high acceptance for policing alternatives, alternatives to public safety that'll actually prevent crime, things like mental health and community and economic investment, things like that among younger generations, but in older generations, even amongst black people, you see the response is, we want more police, even though you look and you see that this is something tragic and that that keeps happening, keep saying that we want more police because that is the pathway that is built up in your mind. And it takes a lot of time. It takes tremendous cultural change in order to solve that problem. And then you have on the worker side, you have workers who are doing the opposite. They are going for unions when the queue is supposed to be for them to go against unions and not try to ask for more demands. They're realizing the precarity of their situation, realizing that things aren't as good as they should be, and they're deciding to think differently about those situations instead of doing what is ingrained in their minds. And there is a need for that sort of long-term cultural change and needing to get people to flip those switches in their mind to know that when bosses do this to you, that means that you need to create more solidarity with your coworkers. When you see police brutality out there, it's a very clear indication not that people are resisting or that the criminals are more violent. It's an indication that the system of policing is not working and that that's not the only response that is available for the problem and that the problem can be resolved through other better means. Um, And it is really creating an awareness of those things because the rhetoric around these ideas has been there for years and years and years, and we are only now starting to unveil the true nature of these systems that they're not benevolent 
they're not help they're not really helping us they are actually hurting us and it is through these states of crisis that you can start to shift your own feelings away from those preconceived notions or away, away from those preconceived thought patterns of blaming yourself or of blaming the wrong thing for those problems and realize that oh no this is actually wrong and that randomness is not really random after all at some point you will break that initially the change in your mind may be just that something's not working something's not right here um the, how we've done things in the past is not working how we have tried to deal with economic issues is not working it's not helping um and of course the powerful will do everything possible to get you to believe that doubling down tripling down is the solution to everything um but you may not realize until much later that this randomness all these seemingly random events that keep happening are in fact a systematic method of creating oppression that is that allows the system to further itself because if one person says it and believes it and they and based on their apparent personal experience this is what's happened you need to be really scared you need to be really cautious you need to be scared of whoever is holding the power then that's what's going to keep happening and nobody goes and questions the power itself and it just becomes like second nature so you have to break that appearance that false appearance of that this is nature and this is the way that things always have to be and you have to see the success you see there was another msnbc commentator who unfortunately i couldn't really uh, i couldn't find a reference for this one as well but they were mentioning a community somewhere in um in i believe it was brooklyn where the police were doing aggressive crackdowns the stop and frisk type stuff tons of police presence but then they decided to work with black community leaders and the police decided to say we're going to take a step back we are going to let community leaders try to deal with violence we'll still be available to call us but we won't be doing such aggressive patrolling we'll only be around as much as the community needs us or wants us to be there and people felt safer safety itself improved and we have to look at the right metrics and the right numbers not just number of arrests but is the community actually getting safer and then in terms of workers you see that there are many examples of systems of co-determination where workers and owners have equal power power working you see microsoft recognizing its first union you see that these these things are working because once you kick out of that cycle you can see that there are other solutions that are working you see that unions are helping people that it's not empowering lazy workers that unions aren't making things worse for people or just taking dues out of your pocket that sucking up to the boss and just doing whatever the boss tells you to do is not going to help you the people who are doing that are getting randomly and arbitrarily fire, fired as if it's by nature but you have people that are under union contracts um, who are getting benefits who are getting protections and you see that these things actually do work even if they didn't fit into that old model and people with new minds new thinking younger people are coming into this unfortunately those younger people don't have that much power economically the people who still pull the strings in all of this even in the very small level are older people with a lot of wealth um but you have to then just 
let the thinking brain absorb the actual facts and the statistics and then have that other idea because anybody can be, I believe anybody can in solving a problem or looking at a situation, whether in their own life or in society as, as a whole, if they think the right way, can get into a flow state and start thinking differently about a problem. But those thoughts, there has to be a seed for it. And you have to be ready to take it and not just say, I'm just going to give in your typical fight, flight, or freeze response that, that'll cause you to give in, but actually channel this into new creative energy. And the way that I kind of discovered this whole thing about flow states and turning fear and situations of fear and shock into creative into creative energy to both solve problems and create beautiful things in general was actually through skateboarding, which was one of Tyree Nichols's big passions. He was really an up-and-coming skateboarder. I heard that he was actually even some notable people in the skate community said they were watching his video clips just weeks before this, which makes this even more tragic. He could have gotten sponsored even. He had a really... He had some really pretty good video parts out there. I put one up on the TikTok at FixerPunk um, if you want to go and see that. Um, but when you're skateboarding, there is a lot of fear and a lot of a lot of things there. You can get scared and you can choke up. You can hesitate and you can fall really hard. Um, but you can also channel all of that energy into doing something creative and executing a never before done trick and doing something really, really difficult because of the built up energy of that fear, that fear that you're going to fall or something really bad's going to happen when you're pushing on the board and trying to get, trying to get to a trick. And it's with that same kind of creative energy where we are channeling the fear of what's going to happen into energy to create something different than what we have done before that we have to move forward as a society in general. Um, I think this is going to be about it for this episode. I had to re-record this episode, I'm going to be honest, because my microphone was not working. I recorded a much better version and I had to re-record it quickly after that. So hopefully you've enjoyed this. If you did enjoy it or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, things you want to have brought up on a future episode, please just email me, Grayson, G-R-E-Y-S-O-N, at offspeedsolutions.com. Also follow the social media at FixerPunk on Instagram and TikTok, at Grayson Nation, G-R-E-Y-S-O-N-N-A-T-I-O-N on Twitter. Um, those will have a lot of the current events type stuff as well um, because we don't typically do current events on this podcast, but I might be doing it a little bit more. And you get the most up-to-date content, especially on the TikTok for that type of stuff. And I hope to see you again on the next episode. Um, and please do reach out with any questions, comments, concerns, things you want to cover on a future episode. And I do definitely appreciate you. Thank you again. I hope you have a great rest of your day.